on Tuesday, November 26th. This is episode 23. And in fact, it's the final episode for 2019. And in fact, it's the final episode of The Vegan Hour. <laughs> so uh, there'll be more about that to follow. But it's so it's a bit of a uh, bittersweet episode tonight. And uh, tonight, let me just bring up the screen here. There's Claire. Tonight, we have vegan psychologist Claire Mann joining me live from Sydney. Welcome, Claire. Lovely to be on the call. Thank you. I'm amazed that this is the last first one and the last one for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not the first one and the last one, but the, yes, after four years, this is the last, yeah, the last one. The first, you mean the first one for us, sorry. Yeah, yes. First um, one for us, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that's all right. I'll be back next year with, in a different format. So uh, uh, the fun and games will continue. So I just want to, uh, before we get tonight's uh, show underway, I just want to uh, say a big thank you to vegan frothers who have been supporting me for the last few years and continue to support the vegan hour um which is really really wonderful you can get all your cruelty free clothing through them and you can be supporting animals with 100 percent of the profits at the same time so that's great so thank you shane and simone and everyone connected with them and also cindy and natural foods who are based in sydney down at your neck of the woods down there claire and uh cindy and natural foods all uh uh, GMO free and gluten free and soy free and available around Australia and they, they make wonderful sausages and burgers and and uh, dips and so forth so uh, they are also wonderful sponsors of the vegan hour so um, I just also before we get underway just mentioned tomorrow night if you're on the Gold Coast there is the uh, bowling what we call the BKA vegan restaurant has their bowling night you can get bowls of wonderful food for $12 each and the food there is amazing and uh, also uh, this Friday on the Gold Coast is a um, grand opening of the of another fully vegan uh cafe on the Gold Coast, which is amazing. There's another another one opening. I, I love it. This is up in Paradise Point, opening at 7 a.m. Uh, this Friday, November the 29th. So go along with that. Show them, show them a whole heap of love. And uh, we've got uh, Chris has said, hello, Harry and Claire. Uh, thank you for watching, Chris. So if you missed the introduction, I have Claire Mann, a vegan psychologist, joining me live from Sydney. And I note that you're a, a psychologist, a communications trainer, an animal rights campaigner, uh, author of uh, a, a number of books and a contributor to quite a number of different uh, <laughs> organizations and, and so forth. So I want to find out all about this tonight, but I want to start at the beginning. I want to start with why you are who you are as far as a vegan goes and also how that morphed into being a psychologist and and so the journey that sort of took you there and i uh, maybe we could start sort of at uh at age eight where you were where you was it stopped some boys abusing a dog is that <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it's a good enough it's a good place to start tell us about that and how it sort of got you on your on your journey um, well, I was born in the south of England, and I was I'm of a vintage Harry that no doubt you are too. When children <laughs> played, <laughs> children played in the streets, and your older brother or sister looked after you. And um, there was a park very near to where my family were, and the kids were playing in the park. And for some reason, I was on my own. And I remember being in a particular part of the park where there was an old moat that previously would have been there in 
quite ancient times, I imagine. And mm. there was a lovely play area for the children there. There was no water around and whatever. And I remember just somehow being there and a lot of sort of jostling around and noise in the background and heckling of what now I realized was teenagers. And it was behind, there was a shelter behind that area. And I heard this heckling and jeering. And then I heard a sound that I will never forget. It was the sound of an animal in pain. Uh, and I was only eight years old. And I can still, I feel that response in me yeah. as soon as I hear it. And yeah. it's something that's never met to me when I hear the cries of animals. Uh, and some, I, I don't know if it's a childhood memory, but all I know is I ran towards that noise. And I had to mm. run up some side steps, turn around and look back into the shelter. And what mm. I found as I pushed through these boys, I oh, were there 10 of them? I don't know, wow. 15, 16, 18, a crowd of boys yelling yeah. and cheering and egging, sort of, I don't like that term, and encouraging yeah. each other on. And yeah. um, I saw a dog that whose leg had been severely twisted and pushed back into the slats in between this park bench. And I mm. rushed towards the animal. The poor animal was trying to free itself herself and in a way that would have dislocated the hip. It was going the opposite direction. So I, I freed the animal and then I, I can still remember it now. I, I turned around and this feeling came up within me, which I recognize and I still recognize when there's huge injustices. And it comes, it came up within my stomach and I, I yelled, how dare you, don't you ever do that again. And I don't know how I got out of there. <laughs> I didn't seem to have any trouble. <laughs> and and then something amazing happened because I went home and I told my parents. And yeah. my parents, bless them, must have put together all their fears for an eight-year-old child with a, a crowd of marauding, testosterone-fueled teenagers. Yeah. And um, my father was nodding his head, no doubt, and he said, Claire, you must always do what is right. You must oh. speak out for those oh. people, for those who need help. And that was the original. That started my sort of wow. journey on speaking out. I am so touched by that. How wise was your father to give you that advice? Wow. Yes. <laughs> so that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah yes. that is great. Um, yes. So that it, wow, that really instilled at such a young age. To this, uh, as you say, you, you know, to rise up against injustice, even in yeah. a situation where you're putting yourself at such a young age, putting yourself in a very dangerous uh, situation. You know, that's just uh, wow, that's very <laughs> impressive. One of the most amazing <laughs> examples I've heard. So that is fantastic. So how did it sort of um, uh, follow on from from that point for you? Sure. Well, I guess I, you know, continued throughout life and did the normal things that young people do, and they they study and date and <laughs> travel and do all sorts of things. And at the age of seventeen, I went to see the streets paved with gold in London and never found them. Twenty years later, but uh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but I was always interested in the human condition in fact my father had been searching for years and had tried out all different sorts of religions and teachings oh, yes, to say yes. what are we here for there's got to be more than just entertaining ourselves and consuming and and yeah. i came from a very working class family in the south of england and um and my father was constantly asking well, what is, what is it all about there's got to be a bigger answer bigger picture and so mm. i gravitated i guess i left school at 16 and and went into i worked for seven years before i realized that i was a pretty bright kid and i needed to <laughs> to go and study and i went back at the age of 24 um yeah 
and realizing I wasn't going to be able to work as a bank clerk. That was never going to work for me. And, yeah. um, and I studied psychology because I was fascinated at the time in, you know, the, actually the quality of working life and, and what was it? If people were going to spend all their lives doing something, surely it had to be meaningful and work needed to be a meaningful community. And um, like most students of psychology, they could go their whole training and never meet a human being, I've decided. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to acknowledge, say, I just want to say hello to the people that are coming online that have been saying hello. Thank you, John. Thank you, Lindy, for saying hello. Um, It is, personally, I also share the exact same feelings that that you have you know, felt from a young age as far as injustice and also as far as the fascination of you know, what is life, the, the, the need to know what are we here for and, and the need to sort of understand it and, and, and to try and understand the way people think and feel and, and their motivations and their actions and things like that, you know. And so um, I can, you know, I, can, I mean, I never went down, obviously, the path you went down and did anything formal, but uh, it is an amazing subject that I think is really, uh, it's always been just, you know, I need to know more sort of thing, you know, and this was propelling you. You needed to know the human condition and the, and the, and the reasons, the reasons why people do what they do and who they are and so forth. What did you, um, you know, once you got into, into the, the studies of psychology, um, was it the way you'd expect it to be, you know, what you were learning all that? Was it answering the questions and that you had? No, because I realized um, I was asking bigger existential questions and scientific psychology and saying that we have to move people back into normality wasn't kind of working for me. Right. That, you know, anxiety was a terrible thing and we had to bring people back into normality. And, and I was starting to realize from a young age that normality was actually madness. And <laughs> well, said. well said, spot on. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, it's true. I mean, well, you know, my, one of my favorite sayings is why be normal? Because, yes. you know, what, I, what we consider normal, uh, you know, is, is a, what it's a strongly conditioned uh, environment and society that we've been brought up in. That is something that sadly most people don't question. Or if, yeah. or if they if they do question, they get suppressed and they don't they don't follow it through or something. Yeah, I think you're right. And I always say our school system is wonderful. It's excellent. It stops people thinking. It actually creates people to be units of production in a socioeconomic yeah. slavery system, which yes. is really what we've got going on. And yes. as Thoreau said, most people live lives of quiet desperation. Yes, yes, and you know that quiet desperation, which is the way I look at the world now is it's not that quiet anymore, that desperation. That's right. <laughs> you know, it used to be sort of like there would be the black sheep in the family that had the the uh, the drinking problem or something like that, you know, uh, uh, Uncle Arthur or something, somebody like that, and we didn't talk about him much or whatever, you know. But those those things that were swept under the under the rug, uh, you know, maybe decades ago and, that you know, there was always that problem person in the family, they're, they're quite out in the open these days. You know, the, yeah. this, the people that are that are, in, that are having not just quiet desperation, but quite public desperation. You know, we see a world with you know. You would see it so clearly, wouldn't you? You just yeah, yeah. This, it's this is totally, it's totally unsustainable, and I think people are breaking down. And and there's, there's still a stigma, um, I think, of saying I'm not coping or I'm not going along with society. And when somebody gives permission to do that and says, "Hey, look, it's not working for me," usually people will put their hands up. 
Um, but it isn't working for people and people feel, a, I think, a spiritual emptiness. And yeah. it's interesting what's happening in our history at the moment, isn't it? Where people are starting to really challenge really what is going on and the total breakdown in human connections, which, you know, social media has its mixed blessings. But I think we have some real concerns of people literally plugged in and unable to interact and be in the presence of others, which is what a lot of the early the new research is finding is people, young people, some young people can't even read the facial expressions of people because they're looking on screens all the time. That that I wasn't aware of that one, but wow, that's that's pretty bad. Yeah, that's that's Absolutely. that's pretty sad, actually. That's that inability to, on a very basic level, to understand human reactions is wow. That's pretty scary. There's a Absolutely. comment there from John that says that normal is a setting on his washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, John. I like it. <laughs> I think that's a meme I'm going to make up and post tomorrow. And uh, he but also says. My family, I've seen that. John, you're you, you're batting you're batting uh, very well tonight. Thank you for those comments. They're great. <laughs> Lovely. So, so, so in your journey, I, I note that that um, you stopped eating meat in the early '80s. So this this would have how did that come about? Did yeah. this follow in with your understanding of injustice and and so forth? Well, I um, I'm a very visual person, and I remember when I came to London, went to London to see the streets paved with gold, and I somehow came across a book, and I'm quite intrigued that it was an autobiography for someone so young. But it was Bob Geldof of the Boomtown Rats that no, you, no, no doubt you remember. Yes, yes, yes. And he wrote a book called Is That It? And I don't know if it was an early copy or something that I got hold of. And in that book, he talks about his story. And for people listening, some might realize he was the guy that sort of spearheaded the Live Aid, um, which yes. was to raise money in the 19, early 1980s for, um, there was a, a massive famine in Africa and all these wonderful musicians came together and made a beautiful song, which we hear every um, end of the year, like Yuletide. Um, mm. is, and so this is Christmas. Anyway, in this book, he talked about coming from a very poor and deprived background, but he worked in, as a teenager in an abattoir in Dublin. Wow. And he was recounting the story of a cow, and I didn't see anything or hear anything. But as I'm telling you now, Harry, I can see that cow walking up into the kill box. And yeah. I was so horrified um, yeah. that I actually I stopped eating meat. And wow. I thought, wow, I, this, surely this can't be going on at the moment. This cannot be so horrifying. Explain what was happening as the animals were. We don't need to we know the details. And, uh, but I stopped it then. And I only wish, as we all do, I wish I'd asked more questions. Yes. Because, but I was 17, 18, you know. It's, um, but it was enough yeah. to say, enough, I don't want to do this. That's, and, that, um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and when you say you wished you'd ask more questions, do you mean uh, what was happening with the animals, or what was happening like why in the wider circle of things uh, with the animals, as in the dairy industry as well, and that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I would have been a vegan on the spot. I had, um, and the absolute horror we all feel when we go, um, when we find out about dairy, and then we can't believe we don't know, and we can't yes. believe we don't know about eggs, and we can't yes. believe we don't. I, you know, I'm going to say it, and I'm going to say it publicly. I think it was in the 90s. I had a fur collar. Um, oh. And I am yeah. horrified yeah. now, but I obviously didn't think, oh, it's okay. I actually yeah. didn't even think there was a question to ask. So it's actually quite a good experience because it's, I think a lot of people out there, less so these days in the circles 
public that we, we see because of social media that you wouldn't not know. But I honestly, there's no way I thought we'd have thought an animal deliberately be killed for that. I thought it was a byproduct or something. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's it's certainly the indoctrination that we <laughs> that we are brought up under, um, which again is a is a fascinating uh, study from a psychological perspective, isn't it? The way that society functions, which you you sort of briefly mentioned earlier, you know, the whole uh, <laughs> the way the education system functions to bring us up as as great little worker bees in in a way. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I'll, I'll make a quote if I can. I don't know if you know the work of R.D. Lang, who wrote The Divided Self. Uh, no, I don't know. Yes, and I might misquote it a little, but he basically, he said, it's quite a, a sort of powerful quote. He talks about this, how we socialize um, children into normality. And if we didn't, of course, they wouldn't fit into society. However, by fitting them into it, we reduce their potentialities. And he said, when Stone Age baby meets his or her um, 20th century mother, the child is subjected to the most outrageous violence masquerading as love. And on the whole, this process is pretty successful because what we find ourselves with is by the age of 16, a half-crazed creature rather like ourselves. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's that's powerful. Wow. What a, that's yeah. a, um, wow. That's an amazing understanding. Wow, yeah, and when I came, I came across his work and he spoke out on things like schizophrenia and he said, yes, of course, it's a normal suffering, but actually maybe it's not a flight into madness. It's a flight out of madness, out of normality. And that really got me asking the question of really looking at the wider society and realizing that, um, you know, people are desperate and people that don't fit in and don't play the game and conform and go along with what is expected in conformity they have a pretty difficult time. And yet they're the they're the rainbow people, John. And <laughs> they're the people that actually are holding up the light and saying, hey, wake up, we're all in this trance. Is that, uh, does that happen because of like a herd mentality thing where people have a fear to, to just try and be an individual and so they just do what the, the crowd is doing? You know, is that, yeah. is that? Yeah, well, it seems we want to be liked, we want to be long. I think there's definitely that. But I think we learn shame in self-consciousness. You know, a little child that is dancing around, a little girl pulling her dress up in front of people, picking her nose or whatever, isn't actually shamed until we say she's doing something wrong. And I yeah. think that self-consciousness, that shame I am in somehow, not what I've done is wrong, I am somehow not good enough. And I right. think that becomes part of identity. Therefore, it's easier to go along with than fear the pain of that alienation and separation. Um, some people seem to be able to navigate it more. And some are prepared to deal with that rather than the anguish of going against what they know to be right. Um, yeah. But I think there's that little struggle of wanting, wanting to be accepted, wanting to be enough. And I think because yeah. of our socialization, I think people spend a lot of time trying to regain that back, accept me, am I good enough, uh, you know, am I doing okay? And then we waste all that time saying, am I good enough, as opposed to collaborating and creating, we could create so much more if we came together and, mm. and mm. you know, wow, what potential there could be. I'm thinking the contrast there between, say, the example you've given of the girl that, that, that's uh, been shamed um, for her behavior that to her is just innocent, of course, um, yes. versus 
your own personal situation where there was like uh, your father was empowering you and and pointing you in a very positive direction that set uh, set a, a course a life course for you as it seems you know in a, in a very so it's such a, a contrast and it's uh, you know there's that saying there was it the sins of the father become the sins of the son the responsibility you know of the parents uh, the most responsible um, thing that we have in or we will ever do in life is is bring up another living being the right way <laughs> you know Absolutely. and I, I you know I look around and think there should be a parent test sometimes because because it's really you know it's it's it the child is subjected to such forces uh, from from what they consider their their normal environment this is what they're being taught is normality you know and and it's almost luck of the draw as to whether they're going to be given um an example around them in their in their household of of stability or madness yeah i think you're right yeah so um the so i noticed that you've um Amongst the many things you've done, uh, you've worked in 15 different countries, which is which is not, not kept you busy. I see you, you've trained you trained leaders in South Africa to change the education system to bring black and white students together. That must have God. been. That it just amazes been. me what's out there. I wonder where you find this information, but it is true. <laughs> I mean, that must have been quite a challenge. It was in the 1990s and I was working in a British university and yeah. um, we were invited by a number of um, countries around the world, a number of places that wanted to um, educate their students in certificates, diplomas and degrees in a range of different countries. And we were invited to, I was working in the uh, open learning department of the university and we were invited to go to South Africa. And so we were giving workshops, we were training other lecturers. And in this, um, down in, it was called Midrand Campus down in, in Johannesburg. And um, we, we brought the students together for the first time, the white and black students. Now, a look, and for anyone who knows the history of this, the, the privilege that the white people would have actually got, white students, by the age of 16, they would have had a pretty regular, what we might think of as a Western education. Or we yeah. can question that validity of that yeah. as well, the benefit of yeah. that. But in yeah. terms of they would have had access to, to study, support, regular classes, tuition. But the black students would have um, had less education because they would have probably walked five miles to get to the to the, the class. When they went home at night, they could only um, study by candlelight. So they right. and then they would be fetching water and they would be feeding the rest of the family and they were only been ten years old. And so they would have had very different education by the age of 16 okay and so yep. it was the first time that these students were coming back together um, and they were very bringing them together and I did a facilitated exercise where I got people to self-select and work in different groups and I said you know we're going to work out through this open learning what is it you want to achieve and and the white students got up and they were saying well I want to start my own business and I want to travel and I, I want to make money and whatever and I remember this black student got up and wrote very slowly on the, um, the white paper and then turned the board around and it said, I just want someone to show me some respect. Wow. Mm. Wow. That's and so, 
is not sort of fitting people into boxes. It's 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 far more creative and, and dealing with the angst of what it is to be a human. And to be an authentic human, authentic in the sense of living against the back cloth of the uncertainty, knowing that the choices we make, we have to live in the anxiety that maybe another way and someone else would choose another way. Um, and I think we, we're so often told that this is the way, this is the belief, you've yeah. got the answers. And I think all it does is assuage our um, anxiety of trying to find answers. And, um, so it's it's sounding what you it's sounding to me like what you're saying is it's it's very much uh, dependent on the individual where they're at. Is that correct? I think it is. That's right. But we've got you know we all have to deal with the same givens. We're born in a body. We have yep. to deal with uncertainty. Anxiety is normal in the sense of if you choose you know route A, you don't know what B would be like, so you can never you know you can't really evaluate it. And um, we're we're doomed to have relationships with other people, with our bodies, with our ideologies, and yep. so we're constantly. And also we are co-created through our relationship with others, as opposed to Harry, you're this person who's full of all these personality attributes, interests, and aptitudes. Um, and Claire, this is you. We come together and we sort of just communicate. The only you I know, only Harry I know is Claire, and the only Claire you know is Harry. So we are co-created. I just think it's so much more refreshing because it says we're a myth. It's a myth that we're separate, but it's also a myth that we're apart. Wow, that's brilliant. <laughs> I love it. And I also want to say hello to Suze, uh, Susie. Says hello to us as well. Thanks for saying hello, Susie. Um, so you know you you mentioned angst then and um that's that's a word that i, I want to sort of uh, follow up on there because um you're combining the understanding of of the psychology of the way that people think and operate and and, and existential uh psychotherapy in that as well with veganism and combining this now you've been uh, vegan uh, 10 years now i believe um 10 years yeah. next month <laughs> Congra oh, congratulations, congratulations. Um, and um, think of the animals that, that have been saved in that time. That's fantastic. Many, many thousands. Um, so, you know, you've written, uh, uh, in the last couple of years, you've written um, Vistopia and uh, Myth uh, Vistopia was last year, was it, I think? It came out last yes. year? Yes. Mm -hmm. And this year was Myths of Choice. Yeah. Yep. So I want to I want to sort of follow on. You talked about angst, and um, and in the the uh, subtitle for Vistopia, you mentioned the anguish of being vegan in a non-vegan world. Now this is something that I've personally experienced. I mean, this is my 39th year being. So again, this is something that I'm going to you know say, wow, you know, um, this is when I when I first came across your term Vistopia, I was like. Yeah, this is, you've hit the nail on the head, you know, it's, it's vegan dystopia, you know, it's like, how yes. do you, how do you cope when, when you're going one way and everyone else is going the other way, you know, what oh, yeah. strategy, so, you know, like I can, I could look at my own example and say, you know, and I could rave on for hours about the different strategies and techniques and, and that, that I've used in order to stick to my guns of this is, this is what I should be the way I should be living my life. You know, this is this is what my heart telling me is the right thing to do. This is the direction that I need to go in. I can't live my life a different way and be at peace in myself because I know it's not the right thing to do. You know, so I can talk about my own example, but I want to find out 
I want you to please to expand on Vistopia and, and what you've been seeing in the community and the people that you've worked with because I, I know that you've you've uh, worked with a lot of uh, animal rights organisations and, and um, a, a lot of activists and you've given advice and that there. So can you please tell us how this uh, Vistopia works and um, how we do actually handle the anguish of being vegan in a non-vegan world? <laughs> All in two minutes. <laughs> yeah. no, 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 you've got 30 minutes. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But well, we'll dialogue a little bit, of course. Um, well, let's just define Vistopia for anyone who doesn't know. The um, It was a term I gave last year, to, or the year before, actually. Um, I felt we needed a word for the anguish of waking up one day and you look around and you honestly think you've been born on another planet. And you almost, as you know, Harry, and you, it's this is, as we know, it's not about feeling uncomfortable about a fussy diet. It's mm. knowing about the systematized cruelty towards animals. And mm. then when we try to tell people, all, instead of them going, oh my gosh, if that happened to one animal, I think we ought to look at it. They don't. And they they laugh or they ridicule or tell you, don't tell me what to do. And there's almost this trance-like collusion with a dark and dystopian world that we've become aware of and they're not even aware of. And they say, oh, the government would never allow it. Or oh, people aren't like that. I think you're being negative or, you know, animals are prettier for us and we get all this stuff and you feel you're in some sort of hell. And then you go, well, just a moment, if I didn't know about all this, what else don't I know? And then you're laughed at for being a conspiracy theorist. And the anguish, the aloneness in of the individual in society and being pilloried by people you care for and love potentially but then this burden of knowing that our pain is probably it is minuscule relative to the torture of what is happening to our sentient brothers and sisters and it's it's almost unimaginable what they go through and then to let people know this and the the psychic defenses that come up to say oh don't tell me or it would never be allowed or so this awful anguish that happens and you know the number of people have just said what you've said is it's as if you got inside my head claire and told me everything that i've always been thinking and feeling how did you do that i said because well this is my experience <laughs> and it seems to be a common experience uh, all the little different facets of it, the thoughts, feelings, actions, the fact that you walk through a shopping mall and what you used to see is no longer there. You no longer see people having a nice afternoon tea, lifting a nice cup, china cup. You see a baby calf taken away from their mother. You see bone china is actually cow's bones. You <laughs> see someone with a, a fancy cashmere jumper, something I wore in the 80s, much to my deep shame is um and you see a baby animal um, starved so their hair is finer and it just goes on and yeah. you see this carrying on this sort of almost ritualized satanic ritual that's happening this flesh eating and um the secretions of, of animals that you know when you come close to them all of them their mothers and brothers and sisters and cousins and they have lives with families that they just want to be left alone and live their lives normally. So the anguish that I was picking up from other people was mirrored in that. People were saying, I I feel this deep agony and pain. I feel hopeless, helpless. I I feel this, um, I don't like this word, but a deep hatred for other people. I feel mis I didn't say it misanthropy. How is it possible for people to be so cold, to be so selfish? Um, mm. And then they look at industries and they say, well, oh my gosh, how can people be so greedy? 
and people so cold and this is how it continues so the, the the vegan wakes up and they don't even recognize the world they live in and now they've got to try and navigate it and advocate for animals and then sort of say well what the heck am i here for is this some sort of experiment and so you know that's the anguish i guess and i, I believe a lot of people can resonate with that oh i i'm just i'm just i mean it's like you've i'm reading my autobiography <laughs> listening to <laughs> it's just like wow you know and, and i was going to add in in there as well that you know you, you're you're also dealing with you know the family members and that as well that are you know hassling you and your choices and the, you know which we rightly know are compassionate choices the right thing to do you know we're yeah. coming from that from that um you know from that position of uh we're against injustice so strongly we know that we've got to do the right thing um or yeah. just We'll continue on with that in a moment. I, ju I just want to read John's um, uh, message here. We see ourselves as human that seeks a spiritual awakening, but we are spiritual beings trying to cope with a human awakening. Very well said, John. When we see from this perspective, maybe we might understand why we are here and what we have come to do. I, I totally resonate with that message, John, and it fits in very strongly with my own spiritual path. So thank you for that. Um, and John also says, uh, your coining of the term dystopia is very relevant. It well describes what vegans endure in daily life you have a great insight indeed you do Claire <laughs> and as you say it comes from your own experience you know your own anguish you know and you've tapped yeah. into it and and then being able to um, you know expand on it in a way that uh, that people that have experienced the same thing can just resonate with it straight away which is yeah it isn't it it's just um you know as you were describing it there I was thinking why why does it have to be this way in that why are we you know why are we awake why are we looking at the matrix i was thinking of the matrix was the example i think of because as somebody said to me last year or something they said you realize the matrix is actually a documentary and i went geez you know what it's not a fictional movie it's a documentary and it's brilliant you know <laughs> so but anyway it's um um why you know why are we awake and others aren't <laughs> Yeah. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? And I and you get these silly comments like, well, you always liked animals, didn't you, Harry? And Harry doesn't even need to like animals or love animals. He just needs to, we're not looking for animal rights, as you know. It's not about getting a driving license or a passport. It's mm -hmm. about leave people, leave them alone to live their own lives. It's a, it's a, it's a justice issue. Not, not a, um, I like them, therefore it's about me, that I feel warm and fuzzy and upsets me if they're hurt. Yeah. It's not about us. It's about the project, you know, empathy with the suffering of another. And it amazes me, as you, you say, how is it that some people just don't get this? I mm. really, well. You know, you yeah. said then you said well, you get silly comments, and and I've had them. You know, almost exactly what you've said there. You know, oh, you re always liked animals, didn't you, Harry? That sort of thing, right? And that, but you know, that's not even a silly yeah. comment. That's a demeaning comment. That's like a, a you know, we'll, we'll we'll put that person down because they're not on our level. You know, where we're, mm. we're and that's what's projected. Yeah. You know, it's like oh well, you know, we eat meat, yeah. and therefore we're more intelligent. And you know, you're a little bit strange because you know you don't that sort of thing. Yes. You know, so it takes yeah. yes, it takes a certain um, a certain amount of conviction in knowing what's right and wrong to tolerate that year in and year out. And that's that's where you're able to you know work with people. I guess well, no, I guess mm. I uh, you you. Um, work with people on an individual basis as well as in groups mm. and that uh, helping with these sort of things? 
Yeah, I do see people all over the world. Um, in probably about two, two and a half days a week. Uh, I could do it seven days a week. There are people you know, we know, and there are other vegan psychologists, but they haven't quite come out of the closet yet. They're either working for other people, so they don't call themselves that, or actually some feel a little anxious that if they were to say they were vegans, they would lose their normal clients. I know and, a couple. Um, yeah, and I think that's really, I mean, I, I say to people, you know, a vegan world is here and it's coming and it's every day we're accelerating this process and, and there's going to be a much greater need for people to, to, to come out and speak out the truth, you know. I love that you say that the vegan world is coming because, um, you know, when you look at the world, and and you see uh where we've come in the in you know in recent years and that what what are you seeing yeah. when you in your eyes yeah absolutely well people think i'm a little bit either optimistic or naive sometimes when i say i believe i will see a vegan world in my lifetime and i honestly believe that and if i but I will, what i will say is there's a couple of reasons I say this, and, and some of it is about quantum science and the power of intention, that thoughts are things, and what we, we actually say is as it shall be. You know, it's, um, but I, I believe that people, not everyone's going to come to this through consciousness, so to speak. They will change their behavior, though, because of this conformity. At the moment, they're following a dark sort of um, light, or so a darkness, so to speak, and because they're, they're killing themselves. They spend 40 years working in jobs they don't like to buy a block of concrete called a house and a piece of metal called a car. And they live yeah. lives of quite desperation with a, a week off, whoopee, to do a, a skiing holiday, which they don't even like, but they think at that time in life they should be there. And so, uh, you know, it's... Um, <laughs> it's so spoiled. <laughs> yeah, but, they're but there's also this process of entrainment, and I don't know, do you know what that concept, if you come across that concept, that fascinates me, entrainment. Entrainment? No. En entrainment, yeah. And, and it was a, a European um, a clockmaker who actually who had, who was looking after grandfather clocks, and he had a number of clocks he was repairing in a studio, and the all the different pendulums were swinging, obviously at different... Um, right sort of rhythms and yeah. then he came in one day and they were all in synchrony and he thought well has somebody done this and he realized they hadn't and he actually started to put more and more clocks together and he realized that over time these or whatever clocks he put in there he put, he put tens of them thousands probably hundreds i know i believe um his name escapes me i write about it in Vistopia, and they all started to entrain together and he, he made a term called entrainment entrainment is where two or more oscillating bodies over time will start to synchronize now that not only happens with grandfather clocks it happens in um, architecture physics biology botany um, chemistry but it also happens in society so um after this um talk this evening go on to you for the listeners go on to youtube and look at metronomes entrainment and you'll see those lovely little clicking machines that are all yeah. of them operating at different levels and right in front of your eyes you will see them entrain and you won't already see it happen and what that means if society entrains at the moment they are people are entraining to a dark and desperate competitive um sort of um, controlling, fearful way of operating. 
the vegan is over here, the little metronome over here saying, hey, there's a better way of life. We can collaborate. There's abundance. There's enough for all. We won't have peace and peace in our lifetime while we're causing any harm to anyone and um, deliberately. And um, so I believe that we'll see a vegan world, but we have to, you know, align ourselves and our thoughts, feelings, actions. Um, so that we are being the change we want to see in the world, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, 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 uh, earlier you mentioned that uh, in relation to society, um, that when we're looking around, it's like everyone's in this satanic sort of haze. Of the, uh, you know, you use the word satanic, and I think I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring that up to how you're describing the way that, you know, things operate now. It's, it's, it's like, you know, a satanic ritual sort of thing, the way the society is. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it is quite um, depressing when we start to look into it. And, then, and this harks back to, you know, the whole um, Vistopia that, that comes up for us, you know, when we, when, we, when we see what's going on. And there's a couple of comments there. Um, Michael says, it's easy to understand why some people don't get it just like there was a time when I didn't get it. Mm. I once had a vegan pour their heart out to me and I was completely resistant to the message. It was more than a decade later that I became vegan. A long memory and empathy um, allow me to easily understand why some people don't get it. Well, very, very um, well said, Michael. And uh, mm. Dale mentioned uh, entrainment, the 100 monkey theory. So Absolutely. this is something I need to know more about myself. Um, <laughs> It's uh, so I want to move on to myths of choice. That's a that's been you've released myths of choice this year. Is that right? Yeah. In fact, only three days ago, I finished a, a month long tour, uh, wow. which started. Uh, firstly, it started. The book was pre released in uh, or did a pre sort of launch in Washington at the Animal Rights Conference, wow. and it's the, and then I've been to all the festivals around Australia and. Um, and it's really exciting. I don't know if you know some of the numbers that have been attending, but there was 25,000 at World Vegan Day in Melbourne. There was 15,000 in Adelaide, um, 5,000 in Hobart for only the second ever vegan festival there. Bigger um, than the hundred population of Tasmania. <laughs> Actually, you know, they had uh, so they had 20,000 people turn up for their climate march. That's pretty extraordinary wow. in Hobart. That is, so, that is very reassuring. Yeah, I think so. I think so indeed. So um, I've just returned from this only a few days ago. I was in, um, in New Zealand, Auckland last weekend and helping. A, uh, I wrote a forward for a book called Animal Voices, which is a beautifully written book from the um, experiences of the animal in the cage and in the testing lab. And I was able to emcee that. So, um, so yes, yeah, so and help other vegan authors. So it's been a, but the myth of choice came out because I say to people, the only way truly that I've ever seen over the last decade for myself and others of how to work through dystopia is massive action. We need to be more active in whatever way that is. I don't care if people want to make more cupcakes and serve right. vegan food and pot yeah. lunks, yeah. or they want to get out on the world stage or do undercover work. Um, and I, I think there's some, I've started really looking into this of what are the different forms of activism that any social justice movement needs to be successful. Yes. But I yes. say to people, there needs to be massive action. We need to do to do more, and um, and so I say to people, you you work through that grief and and strategies every day to allow that to pass through you and not become depressed, literally depressed, or to become distracted and, and avoid it. Um, yeah. Allow it, as as Sean Monson once said from Earthlings, he said, Claire, you've got to let it filter through your body 
because you, you've, you know, you need to be the vehicle. And I say to people, well, when you do that, then we need to become explicit communicators to engage people so that they say, tell me more. And they come back into what I believe is our rightful pre-vegan, we were born vegan. That's and, right. um, but the pro challenge is, of course, is that then people go out there and become great communicators and they say, why won't people change? How is it possible? Are they just selfish or are they psychopaths or something? And so I realized I needed to write a little bit more on that to look at the social and cultural embeddedness of our beliefs. And the thing we were talking about a moment ago, Harry, is the conformity. People are sliding into the, I should do this, I must. And they go along with the crowd and we're trying to then get them to entrain to something else. So I've, I really felt people needed some tools to do that. Oh, that's great because there really is, it just takes a certain um, degree of self-courage for somebody to, um, you know, to face the opposite direction to to what all their mates are doing. You know, to and and but and uh, you know, as we've mentioned earlier, to to do it because we know it's the right thing to do, and and to just stand up and and say, look, I don't care what you're. Well, it's not that we don't care what they're doing, but it's like you know, I don't want to follow what you're doing because I know it, it doesn't resonate with me. It's not the right thing to do. You know, so um, yes. so the the book uh, has tools. Of, that can help people in, in understanding why people won't change and, and what they can do to to cope with knowing that sort of thing. So Yeah, well, it's called myths of choice, which is uh, myths are unquestioned assumptions. So whenever we feel that I should do that, I ought to do that, I must, um, we're literally giving, uh, from an existential perspective, our responsibility to something outside. My doctor told me I had to do it. Oh, that's my hormones. Um, well, everybody knows we've got to eat meat. So in other words, they're relinquishing responsibility for their life choices. So the book actually, it's not just about veganism. It's about if you, you're trying to talk about minimalism or um, recycling or anything where you give people the facts, figures and information and they should change because it's <laughs> all the imperatives there, but they don't. So. I take people on an individual journey for them to look, for us to look at our blind spots. And I identify eight different myths, the, myth, the morality myth, the group myth, the certainty myth, the selfishness myth, is the unquestioned assumptions about this so that people can see where they've got blind spots. They then, I teach them how to be a bit of a myth detective, combine <laughs> that with exquisite communication, and then they've got a better chance of breaking through other people's trances and get them to realize where they're denying responsibility for their choices and just going along with what they've been told and coming back into veganism. <laughs> I tell you what, I want to get it. I, I think I need to read this book. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Dale just commented there that uh, she wants to thank you so much for uh, Vistopia. It helped me so much. It helped me realise I was not some sort of crazy weirdo. <laughs> I, I might reply to that Aww. comment, Dale, and say that my my way of handling things for the last 39 years is to realise I was a crazy weirdo. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> and, uh, and then I was all right with that because because everyone else was even crazier. So <laughs> something right. like we have. At least we know, know we're crazy. <laughs> that's right. What is what are the, some of the um, you know when when uh, vegans, especially vegan activists, you know that are on the front line that are. Uh, whether we're sitting here, sitting at home, and we're watching, uh, you know, videos of what's happening to the animals, or, or whether we're out there and we're doing, uh, say, Cube of Truth, which is uh, something I believe you you do as well. Um, yeah. So whether we're out there and we're, and we're showing the, you know, we're actually showing what's happening to the animals, to people, and that 
you know, that impact that it's having on us, you know, because we're, yeah. for me personally, it's like I, I these days choose to very seldom look at images or, or videos because yeah. I know that it's going to have a very strong emotional effect on me. And I, and I feel talking to you, mm. you would probably be the same. Yeah. And yeah. Yes. So, no, so no, what? I don't, we don't need to. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'll, I'll exactly. comment on that in a moment ago. Exactly. Yeah. As in, like, I chose not to watch Dominion in that, for instance. Um, so, um, what are some of the self care um, sort of just little things that can help? You know, with yeah. uh, strategies that can help people when they're when they're just feeling that overwhelm of like. You know, this is a bit much and I really need to step back or, or something like that. Sure, yeah. Well, I firstly say to people, we don't need to re-traumatise ourselves for the sake of it. I.e., um, some people believe that they need to see everything because if the animals are going through it, I owe it to them. Now, yeah. at one level, um, we need to know what's going on, absolutely. Yes. But I think when we know we've changed and we're taking massive action, I say yeah. to people, we don't need to re-traumatize ourselves. Um, I see what I need to see. I do a lot with factory farming, with live exports. I have right. seen Dominion, I've seen it three times um, oh. because I was emceeing it. And in wow. the last time, it took me two weeks to get over it. And, wow. um, but so I will not choose to see that unless yeah. there is someone that will only see it because of that. Um, right. But, when I watch these things, I when I have to do things because I'm asked to comment or I'm going to work behind the scenes on something, I will mm. turn the sound down and I will turn the, the frequency brightness down. So I get yeah. the gist of it. I've seen so much that actually, and I say to people, you need to keep yourself strong. If you the animals need you today, tomorrow, and then in, in the coming months and years. And so yeah. the, sometimes the best thing you can do for the animals is to keep yourself strong so that you continue to be an instrument for change. Yeah, so that's good advice. Yeah, so I think there's two aspects of it is, um, number one, it's exquisite self-care and that comes through self-awareness. Uh, is having daily disciplines that, per that firstly, I, I use a nice little dose of neuroscience here and mindfulness because you know our anxiety gets sort of deeply physically embedded in our brains that we no amount of positive thinking is going to change it so we need and um, things like meditation mindfulness and yeah. um, exercise a whole yeah. food plant-based diet with the occasional pizza and lasagna of course <laughs> Um, <laughs> Thank you for putting that in there. That, that yes. was <laughs> the occasional soul burger and everything else, it's, um, which is important. But you know, good nutrition, drinking plenty of water, having downtime, you know, getting out yeah. in nature, being around animals. In other yes. words, regularly resourcing yourself, enough sleep. Um, so that you can keep going so that um if i was listening to uh, kate garley runs a wonderful um podcast called the healthification and she interviewed um gary francione recently and he right. said he hadn't taken a holiday for 40 years and people were going oh that's crazy well i don't think it means he's never not had a break but he lives his life in a way that means he's constantly resourcing himself you know right. so he doesn't need to take um three weeks out and lay on the beach because he yeah. has strategies in place that resource him and yeah. I'm a great, you know, that's very important. So social support is also important. You know, um, in the, we need to debrief with people, but not do what yeah. I call wound sharing. <laughs> we don't ah. need to make it worse. You need to train each other to say, look, I need to offload. I need you to hear me on that. And then for us to move to another place, we need to help each other do that. 
Um, but you know, we can't pretend it's not affecting us. And I think debriefing is very important. And I also think learning to be influential communicators. So because if we come away from every conversation knowing well, I just nudged it in the right direction, I just planted a seed, that is very empowering for us because we know that we're in this giant relay race. All of us are pl- passing the sort of baton to someone else and some of us mm-hmm. get to see people over the finish line and others don't, but they play the part on the way. Yes, that that's fantastic, mm. wonderful, beautiful advice, and and I would just add to that that I, that uh, I like to refer to us as ambassadors of compassion. Uh, mm. Each of us, you know, having that that role to play in doing whatever our talents are in uh, just spreading that awareness, you know, shining that light a little bit brighter. So, um, yeah, Dale mentions absolutely. that she's. She mentions that she's in good company because uh, it's a weirdo club. <laughs> so, as, as I said earlier in the in the tonight show, I said, "Why be normal?" Love it. And that's, <laughs> so, <laughs> I just want to. Uh, we're actually going to. Um, there is so much more we can talk about, but we will actually have to wind up uh, soon. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions. Um, what is your favourite form of activism yourself? Favorite form of activism? Oh my goodness! Gosh, that's a question I have never been asked. Is what do you my effective? Do you think? What are I actually think? I don't think there is one way that is effect, is the most right. effective. Different things for I've different got, people. I've got thirty seconds to say this, but I've been. Yep. Um, I I love the work of um, a lovely book called Doing Democracy, and um, by Bill right. Moyer. And he talks about for any social justice movement, we need four different types of activism. Number one, we need the citizen, i.e. we need to communicate in a way that is consistent with what the average person believes acceptable, i.e. freedom of speech, fair play, to be free from harm. So when we rail against farmers saying they deserve to be out of work, that is not a citizen value that is actually, you know, going against and causing harm. So we need citizen principles. We need the rebel. We need the person to get out on the streets peaceful civil disobedience to hold up society's violations cubes of truth dxe save movements sit-ins all these wonderful things disruptions i'm a great advocate and i, I like being part of that um, yes. and peacefully is most important um martin luther king made that so clear and gosh that's so true yes. because then these light gets shine on the on the abuser and not the abused exactly. the other one yes. the change maker the change maker is the person who gives us the principles, the strategies. It is the meat free Mondays, the things that we might cringe at and think it's not okay just to do it on Monday. But actually, I'll come to two principles in one moment is the change maker, the educational system, give people the tools to actually make the changes. And last of all, the reformer, who is actually the principles, the policies, the legislation, the politics. And of all the research that's done in any civil rights movement to be successful, the least we can do is not criticize any other form of activism. The best we can do is to leap ahead beyond all of them and hold up the ultimate is what we want is animal liberation. So we may not agree with Meat Free Monday. We might think politics is too slow. We may not agree in holding up the streets of Melbourne, but we leap ahead for the ultimate, which is the hold up that vision of the future. And we do our form of advocacy and bring it together. Wow, that is a beautiful. That is a very powerful, uh, very powerful advice to uh, to wind up on. Uh, but actually, I I will start to wind up on that. But I want to get to a comment there that uh, John says in the past we were forced to conform to social convention, religion, 
ancestry, parents, peers, media, but it's far better to adopt an ethical conviction that arises from self-realization. Well said as well, John. Some really good comments and advice coming in here tonight. Um, Also, I I do want to... um, Oh, and Michael says, favourite forms of activism, the University Cupcake Challenge and helping organise the Sydney vegan market. Excellent, Michael. Very good. Um, I do want to mention that you're also uh, the co-founder of Vegan Voices app, which I'm pretty sure I've got on my phone. I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure I put it on there at some point. Um, And also that you contribute to um, uh, Australian Vegan Magazine and also uh, the Plant Powered Women uh, book, which Mm -hmm. I've got a copy of here as well, and Mm -hmm. a few other things. So you've certainly uh, been uh, spreading that advice through a lot of different areas, which is wonderful. And I have uh, just in the last hour, I feel like I could talk to you for hours because because uh, I'd love to, you know, I just, this is something that is just so important, I think, for all of us. It's not just, you know, for me personally fascinating, but it's so important that, you know, going back to what you were saying at the beginning, that we question why we're here and we go deeper and we try and understand why things are happening the way they are and we sort of shine a light on society and we go, well, you know, maybe this isn't the way that life should be lived. And, and then we get into the to the actual um, ethics and the compassion that we carry naturally, as you said, we're born vegan, as you know, the things that we carry with us. And um, and we we rise up and follow our principles and then we encourage others to do the same. And we all we're all in that relay race, as you said, helping each other, you know. So I think that's wonderful, uh, you know, ways of looking at it. So, so I've got to say, I'm going to uh, let me just uh, bring the bring there. I I'm a little bit uh, big screen. There I am, and also I want to add something. Hang on, no, it's not there. Just give me a moment. Um, <laughs> so I'm just here. It is right there. We go. That's what I wanted at the bottom of the screen to as we wind up <laughs> to say that um those that missed the beginning that um this has been the final episode of the vegan hour and uh i will be actually in a, probably a couple of weeks time i'll be doing a live stream explaining what's happening next year because there'll be a, a different a different format and a different um different things happening so yeah so people will just have to wait and find out <laughs> but i've got to say it's been such a pleasure to to listen to you tonight claire and to be able to have this as a final episode because i think the advice you're giving there is fantastic now if people want to get a hold of you i've linked uh in this live stream i've linked your business page and and i've also linked um your, your personal page in there as well but um is 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 your Facebook business page a good source to go to to uh, find out about your books and so forth, or is there a better? Yeah, um, well, it's really um, I think veganpsychologist.com. There's uh-huh. lots of free resources there. There's a course there, how and um, skills for for vegan advocacy, some free programs, the Vegan Voices, and um, 30 days of free video training on how to communicate veganism is a free online program. Um, and then if people go to veganpsychologist.com forward slash myths, there's a four part mini series on really understanding those unquestioned assumptions. And, and then you can find out the books and all that wonderful stuff. And I do a regular talks and interviews and, and um, would love to see some people there and contribute get some people on the show as well 
I'm trying to type in vegan psychologist, but I haven't figured out a way to do it. So I'll do it after the live stream finishes. <laughs> but that is wonderful because I, I want to check that out as well. And I want to finish up. Uh, just uh, Renee says, um, thank you for uh, sending me a free copy of your book when I was in a dark place, Claire. So, um, oh, yes, and, uh, I do John remember said, that. John says, I hope you come back, Harry. Uh, yes, I'll be back in a different format. And uh, Michael says, Harry, thank you for all your efforts with uh, the Vegan Hour. And uh, Dale says, great guest for the last episode. Amazing. Thanks, Claire and Harry. Yes. So thanks again, Claire. Um, and I hope that uh, all the way down there in Sydney that you get some reprieve from all the, the fires and that I hope it's, uh, you know, things get a little bit better. So, <laughs> so Absolutely. thank you to everyone that's, that's watched tonight and to everyone that's supported us since the beginning of 2016. So it feels like a long journey. And um, <laughs> I, will, I will be letting people know in future, in the near future, what's happening with next year. Thank you, Claire. It's been wonderful. And um, I hope to... Uh, bump in you in person someday and, and, and sit down and chat for hours because <laughs> because I want to pick that brain and I want to pick that brain. Oh, <laughs> and coming right back at you. And I think for all everybody listening is, you know, we are the ones we've been waiting for. And our job now is to not get wobbly knees so that more kickback we get, this is the time we need to stand strong and support each other and, and get out there and make this change happen. Thank you. On that note, May everyone live vegan and save lives <laughs> and um, speak to you guys soon. Thank you, Claire, and good night, everyone.